as we think about who God is, it's helpful to classify the attributes of God or categorize the attributes of God based on those things about God that he shares with us and those things about God that he does, that he does not share with us. For example, when we think about the first attribute of God we looked at weeks ago, that God is self-existent. We don't share that attribute with God. We are dependent creatures. God is fully self-sufficient, self-existent. Think about God being eternal. And while though we share in the image of God that we will live forever, eternally, either with the Lord in heaven or apart from Him in hell, God has always existed for all eternity past, and there is a point in time that each one in this room was conceived in your mother's womb, that you began your life. God never began. God has always been. So we don't share in His full eternal nature. God is immutable, unchanging. That's one that's easy to see because we change every day, if not every hour. God is omnipresent, ever-present, everywhere. The last time I checked, we're only present in one place at one time as finite humans. So we don't share in quite the same way with those attributes of God. But there are attributes of God that we can share in. God is love, the Bible says. We too can know love, experience love, and show His love to others. God is just. We too, as humans, can be just. God is a loving Merciful, gracious God, as we learned from Exodus 34 a few weeks ago. We too can have mercy, be gracious in our attitudes and actions. Today's attribute of God is an attribute that we can share with God. It's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Although we can share in the wisdom of God, our wisdom is never as high as we just heard in the song. His ways are higher. His wisdom is higher. And there are plenty of times that we do not exercise good judgment or wisdom. Since I have no problem... Um, being real honest with you about myself, I'm going to give you two examples in my past, years ago, that I made unwise decisions. When my wife Jennifer and I got married, we spent a year for her to finish her master's, and then we moved off to Louisville, Kentucky to go to seminary. There in Kentucky, we were blessed, first of all, in our marriage to have vehicles that were paid for, 
by our parents. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Thank you, Jennifer's parents. So that was a blessing. But on the way back to Louisville after visiting family in Alabama for Christmas, my Ford Thunderbird just blew up on the side of the road. It threw a head gasket. The engine was done. And so the only way for us, to, the, the least expensive way for us to get from Cave City, Kentucky up to Louisville was to rent a one-way U-Haul truck. And so that's how we got our Christmas presents and our luggage from Cave City, Kentucky to Louisville uh, around that Christmas season. And so dad came and got the car, he got the engine fixed, he sold it, and it, it is what it is. So I was now on the market for a car. I never purchased my own car before. And there was a problem, though, about purchasing my own car. I'd never done it before. I was untested. I was young. And we were very, very poor. We didn't have hardly any money there in seminary. And so I was uh, scouring the Internet from my dial-up Internet computer. So many years ago this was. Trying to find a good, reliable car that was going to last a good while. And so I kind of given up on a Ford Thunderbird and I said, I, Honda Accord. Honda, everybody drives Honda Accords. I'm going to find a Honda Accord. And so sure enough, I found one and it was in Frankfort, Kentucky. And so Jennifer and I drove to Frankfort, Kentucky to find this Honda Accord, which was very reasonably priced. All right. And the guy who was a believer that had the vehicle, that had restored it himself, said that, okay, this thing has been in a car accident. It's got a rebuilt title. It's not salvaged title. It's rebuilt. You know, state of Kentucky says certified rebuilt, whatever. So I thought, okay, hmm, should I buy this? You know, um, and so I, I did. And so we bought that car. Oh, what an unwise decision that was for our family. That car spent so much time in the shop in Louisville. And then a few years later, its transmission went out. So I had to pay that big bucks to fix the transmission just to turn around and sell it to, to make my loss financially even less than it already was. Bad decision by Pastor Cade, who wasn't a pastor then, just a young married guy trying to make a good decision about a car, a lesson learned. Second example, my first church I served in Opelika, there was an individual who, um, I'm not sure if he's maybe outside of the church or may have visited, but somehow we got in communication and he had some needs. And so he reached out to me and, and I never knew that, that taking him one day to get some food to eat um, would lead to him constantly asking for help, asking for rides, asking for money, which I didn't give him, but I'd always try to help meet his needs. And finally, I had to sever that relationship because I was not helping him with my kind Christian heart. I was enabling and hurting him. And so again, unwise decision that I made early in life. I was young, untested, and I was limited in my understanding of the whole picture. I thought I was getting a good deal on a car. I didn't envision I was buying a car with major mechanical problems. I thought I was showing Christian love to another Christian brother, but instead I was enabling his cycle of dependency on others. I didn't have the wisdom to look at the situations and understand them rightly. We've all been there. 
We're all still growing and learning, too. It would do us well this morning, as we begin thinking about the wisdom of God, to look at what Jesus has to say about this subject. The Bible writes much about wisdom. We're told to seek out wisdom time and time again in the Old Testament. Yet Jesus talks about wisdom in the last parable that he uses at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 7, he ends his teaching with a parable about a wise man and a foolish man who both built houses and both of their houses encountered storms. There was rain, there was flooding, there was wind, but the wise man built his house on the rock and the house stood. The foolish man built his house on the sand and the house fell. To use the words of Jesus, great was the fall of it. Look what Jesus has to say in Matthew seven twenty four. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So wisdom involves hearing the words of Christ and doing what he says to do. It's not that wisdom is mere knowledge because God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. When we talk about the wisdom of God, we're not just saying that God knows everything. We're talking about what God does with his all-knowing knowledge. Wisdom, according to Jesus and the Bible, is knowledge applied. Wisdom is knowledge applied. We can know a lot of things about a lot of subjects, yet still make a poor decision based on our what we feel like is good knowledge. We can not live our lives and make the best choices in light of everything that we might know. So wisdom is knowledge applied. I'm reading books along with this sermon series to help prepare each week. And one book that I'm really enjoying is a book by Chip Ingram that's entitled, God as He Longs for You to See Him. Chip tells the story in the chapter of that book on the wisdom of God of him being in seminary. I told you a seminary story about my unwise decision to buy a, a poor car, but Chip talks about being in seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary at a time in his life when there was much chaos. Chaos at home, at work, in ministry. He was struggling, even questioning, doubting why he even came to seminary. He was wrestling. And he said it was in the context of my chaos and my struggle that a professor of mine said something that changed my life. He was sitting in a theology class at Dallas Theological Seminary and his professor just happened to be one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, Charles Ryrie. And so he says, I see this theology professor, tall, thin, wire-rimmed glasses, say something and it's like it just jumped out at me. I'm going to share this quote with you. I think we have it on the screen. 
Dr. Ryrie defined the wisdom of God this way. The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. Wow, what a, what a statement. And God used that to solidify that, okay, Chip says, I'm in seminary, things are chaotic, I'm going to trust that God is wise and working in my life. He's faithful. And it comforted him and guided him. Our problem is we get caught up in the moment and we can't see the end from the beginning. And we have these instances in our lives, these breakthroughs where we see things, we notice things, we do things in our limited understanding of reality. And it's almost like the image that Chip talks about is, is that of a, a body of water and you drop a pebble into that body of water. That's a still body. Now, if it's a roaring ocean, you're not going to notice. But if it's a pond that's still and you drop that pebble, what happens? A ripple, right? And so we make decisions. We do things. We have our ripples. But then this person makes a decision. They do something. This person does this. And so all these different ripples are happening and they're all connecting and hitting each other, impacting, affecting. And it's like this, there's too much to take in, but an infinitely wise God that we worship for him to quote Ingram, it's like it's a simple math equation. He totally knows all things. He sees all things. Our God is all wise. The Apostle Paul ends his book of Romans by referring to the Lord as the only wise God. The only wise God. And then in chapter eleven thirty three, I read this verse a few weeks ago when we started this sermon series. Where Paul breaks out into doxology, just being overwhelmed by the, the complexity and the amazing nature of God. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Yet despite of how infinitely wise God is, it is in our human nature, it is in our way of living and thinking that we think we know better than God. I like how Chip Ingram put it in his chapter on God's wisdom. He writes, unfortunately, we often put our hands on our hips and demand, hey God, what's, what about that situation? What about this problem? What about that person? If you had only done this or prevented that, everything would be so much better. Our arrogance, he writes, is stunning. Chip Ingram says that he finds himself, when he finds himself questioning God's will, God's judgment, God's ways, he'll go and visit the last few chapters of the book of Job. Now, those are some of the most humbling chapters in all the Bible to read. Job, a book of great chaos and tragedy and calamity for this righteous man, Job. And the majority of the book is Job trying to make sense of it all and his three friends trying to help him understand all that had happened to him. And God speaks at the very end of the book so strongly. Four chapters worth. This is how God begins his response to Job's questions. 
Who is this that obscures my plans? This is Job 38, verse 2. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, Job, you don't know anything. <laughs> Who are you <laughs> obscuring my plan without knowledge? He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And then he goes verse by verse for the next four chapters. God paints a picture of his incredible sovereignty wisdom, power, knowledge, understanding that is just mind-boggling to think about. All the things that God describes, how he's holding all things together and making things happen. And so we come to the end of the book of Job, last chapter, and Job responds back to God. In chapter 42, Job says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be so he's declaring there the sovereignty of God. Then Job says, You asked, Who is this that obscures my plan without knowledge? Job says, Surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Job then proceeds in his own words to repent in dust and ashes. Job learned how awesome God was in all of his wisdom. God spoke to Job, revealing his manifold works in heaven and on earth in those four chapters in Job. And the psalmist reflects on God's manifold works, has this to say, Psalm 104, 24, which will kind of lead us into the first of three ways that God reveals his wisdom to us. Psalm 104, 24, O Lord, how manifold, what a great word, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. God has made them all in his wisdom. So number one, we see the wisdom of God in God's creation. We see the wisdom of God in God's creation. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Sing with me. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Don't you know? Good theology always leads to good doxology. His creation. Oh, how great you are. Displaying your glory. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen by his creation. 
Theologians call this general revelation that if you just look up or just look at the complexity of the human body that you see attributes of God on display. God reveals his wisdom in his creation. Just two scriptures to share among many that speak of the wisdom and power and knowledge of God. Proverbs 3.19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 12. It is He, God, who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. What a picture of God stretching the heavens by His understanding, by His wisdom establishing the world. Who has and who will ever design a greater supercomputer than the human mind? We live in a world of artificial intelligence. It seems to be taking over, right? We want information. We ask Siri about it, right? Because she'll help us, right? We live in a world of automated vehicles. Artificial intelligence. And no matter how sophisticated the microchip might be with the artificial intelligence, nothing will ever match the sheer splendor of the human brain. The things that the brain can do. The ways that a person can have a stroke and it be retrained. The complex emotions, reasoning, thoughts. Incredible. And God, an intelligent designer, designed it, showing forth His incredible mind and wisdom. How does our body know how to heal itself immediately? And so last night I was pulling something out of the bottom of our freezer. We have two-door refrigerator freezer. And so I'm pulling something out. This has never happened to me before. The ice, automatic ice maker, dumps the ice on top of me. My hand is on the bottom. A piece of ice at a perfect angle hits my hand. Jennifer's in the kitchen. I said, honey, I'm bleeding. A piece of ice is making me bleed. And so I go to get a, a, a paper towel and I blot it just for a moment. And then I forget about it. I look down and it stops bleeding. You know, we take, you know, scabs and... Blood clotting for granted, but think for a moment how incredible it is. Talk to any doctor about the amazing human body. When a bone is broken, we often will try to help that bone heal with, if it's a serious break, with rods and pins and screws. But the moment the bone breaks, it begins to start healing itself in the right way. Amazing. Amazing creation. Our God is infinitely wise and we see it with all that he's made. Secondly, we see the wisdom of God in his plan to redeem humanity through Jesus. We see the wisdom of God in his plan to redeem humanity through Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Or go there in your Bible app. 
Who could have imagined that the Savior of the world would be born in a manger to a teenage mom? Who would have ever thought that he would have grown up the son of a builder, a carpenter, and all places, that little tiny village that nothing good could come out of, Nazareth? How about the way that Jesus began his public ministry by choosing the most unlikely of people to follow him to be his disciples? Fishermen, a tax collector, a zealot, and then one who was so greedy that he would betray his Lord for 30 pieces of silver and a kiss. But of all the things in God's amazing plan of redemption, it was Roman crucifixion that was the most unthinkable means by which God would use to redeem and save the world. Nothing good, nothing redeemable comes from a cruel cross where a person is nailed to that cross put on display, naked for the world to see, to suffer and die publicly for their crimes. And this man, Jesus, had committed no crimes. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word, some translations, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The Apostle Paul continues in verse 20. Look there. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom... You will never know God through wisdom. Paul says that. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 30. And because of him, him is God. Because of God, you're in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Wisdom from God given to us in the person of Jesus. Oh, what a glorious plan. And many people in the world might not come out and say that it's foolish, but they just don't think it's that important. But for those of us who are called, those of us who are being saved, it is the very life. The message of the cross is wisdom Power, hope, everything is about the message of this podium, the cross of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God. And today, you can know God. You can know God personally. How? Through His Son, Jesus. Jesus. God said, I'm going to do all I can 
to make myself so clearly seen to humanity that I'm going to send my only son so that they can see God as a man, the God-man, Jesus, flesh and bones presented to us Fully God, fully man, revealing Jesus to us who lived a sinless life and was crucified on a cross. All part of God's plan to save, to redeem us. You have to admit to God that you've fallen short of his glory, that you've sinned against him. And then believe that Jesus died in your place on the cross and that he conquered death forever through his resurrection and put your hope and trust in Jesus and confess your trust in him. And then publicly show the world you are his disciple by being baptized. It's all part of the growth that we're to have as followers of Jesus, as disciples of him. This is the wisdom of God, the plan of God, the power of God, the hope that we have through Jesus. So we see the wisdom of God through creation, through God's plan to redeem humanity. Third, we see the wisdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ. Let me say this. God doesn't just redeem humanity through the cross. He is going to save this world. All creation. God is going to restore, renew, make a new heaven, new earth coming down. God is going to make all things new through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the wisdom of God, number three, through the church of Jesus Christ. Through the church of Jesus Christ. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. Many lofty, remarkable themes in this Wonderful book, six chapters. But you cannot read chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4 and not see the important theme of unity. Paul talks about Jew and Gentile being separated, far aliens from one another, but in Christ made into one body. Chapter 3, he speaks about this mystery of Christ. In verse 4, verse 6, I'm going to read verse 6. He says, here's the mystery revealed. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Here's the truth. Jews, covenant people of God, God's chosen people. Now this mystery through the gospel is that Jew and Gentile are united as one body in Jesus Christ. Heirs, fellow heirs, members of the same body, not second-class citizens, fully heired members of the body of Christ. And the church has to fight this. Even Peter messes up in the book of Galatians and Paul rebukes him because Gentiles are not second-class Christians. Jew-Gentile, one body of believers. Paul says, I, I was given grace by God to be a minister of this gospel. I was given grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at verses 9 and 10. Final verses I'll read. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul said, I'm going to bring to light this mystery. I'm going to open up the light and show what this plan is. So that through the church, the manifold 
wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Manifold wisdom made known through the church. Now, who are the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? The principalities, angels, and demons will see the manifold wisdom of God. When I was in seminary and chapel, we heard a Messianic Jewish man preach. It was a remarkable. He's a part of the ministry Jews for Jesus. He said our motto as Jews for Jesus is to speak the gospel loud enough for Jews to notice and come to know Jesus, but also in doing so, Gentiles come to know him as well. And so they had Gentiles coming to know Jesus Christ. You know, their, their, their mission is to the Jewish people. They saw many Gentiles also here and come to know Jesus Christ. In the same way, God's manifold wisdom on display to the angels, to the demons, and a watching world can see the wisdom of God through this plan. What is the plan? What's the context? Ephesians 2, 3, and 4. What's the context? Unity, Jew, Gentile. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that his church would be one, one, that the world might believe that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world. In his magnum opus, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem, if you want to read theology, read this book. It's a classic. He writes that God's manifold wisdom is shown even to the angels and demons, and I quote, when people from different racial and cultural backgrounds are united in Christ in the church. If the Christian church is faithful to God's wise plan, it will be always in the forefront of breaking down racial and social barriers in societies around the world and will thus be a visible manifestation of God's amazingly wise plan to bring unity of our great diversity and thereby to cause all creation to honor Him. Wow. If there was ever a time in the world... Brothers and sisters, if there was ever a time for this wise plan of God for unity in the church to be displayed, now is that time. The world's wisdom, the world's methods of diversity education and critical theories on race and sociology will not bring about true unity that comes only through the cross of Jesus displayed through the church of Jesus Christ. Church, we must lead the way on this most important issue. We must. The stakes are too high. Men and women and boys and girls coming to know that God loves them, that Jesus Christ was sent by God. Unity is not optional. It is mandated, demanded by the Scriptures. The message of the cross might be foolishness to the world, but when the world sees what the message of the cross accomplishes in the body of Christ, bringing rich Poor, black, white, Hispanic, all races, all nations, all tongues, all classes together in one body. They see the application of the cross. They see the manifold wisdom of God. And the message is amplified that even the angels and demons say, wow, they notice. 
We must lead the way. It's not enough to say, well, the Bible says we're all brothers in Christ, and so you have your church, I have my church. I'm not against having local churches and having doctrinal core beliefs. But we must find a way as the people of God to make the manifold wisdom of God be displayed to all people because there are people that look at our homogeneous churches where everybody all looks the same and they, they wonder, is the gospel for me? I don't look like them. I don't live in the same part of town as them. I don't speak their language. Is this gospel for me? But when people see this collective, splendid plan of every nation, every tribe, every tongue. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to do, but God's calling us to display His manifold wisdom to the world. I'm just a little passionate about that, as you can tell. It's very, very important to God, and it's very, very important to me. And it should be to us as His church. The wisdom of God revealed through His creation through God's plan of redemption through Jesus and through his church. Now, we know the wisdom of God is displayed in other ways, right? His sovereign plan throughout human history. Incredible. As Job says, no plan of yours, God, can be thwarted. God, in his wisdom, in his providence, moves history. In our own personal lives, we see God working all things together for good. We see his wisdom in our lives. And we're called to share in this wisdom, to seek this wisdom, to cry out for it, to seek it, the Bible says. And knowing that we don't have it, James 1 says, Ask God without doubting, and he will give you wisdom. Know that wisdom comes from the word of God. As Paul tells Timothy, the scriptures make you wise unto salvation. And yes, the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us seek to have his wisdom. Let us go to his word. Let us Ask him to grant us wisdom in these difficult, challenging days. In this moment we find ourselves in the past 24 hours as a church in. Oh God, give us wisdom that the gospel of Jesus Christ might not be thwarted or stopped or hindered by any plan of man or failure of any person. May God give us the wisdom from above. James 3.17 as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Lord, I pray, as we stand and as we sing, and as we respond, that you would grant us grace to know you better, to experience your manifold works, God, to be humble. Forgive us, God, for the times that we try to tell you how our lives ought to be, God. Help us to humble ourselves under your great and mighty plan, knowing that you are good all the time, God, and that you have a sufficient purpose and a plan that you can work all things together for good. God, thank you for creation that shows forth your glory. Thank you for Jesus, who is the wisdom 
baptism of God, salvation for the world. And thank you, Lord, for the church. We are the manifold wisdom of God. Let us be all that you want us to be for your glory, that more and more people might come to know Jesus through what they see and find who we are and what we are doing, not just here at First Baptist, but your church around the world, God. Unify your bride. Let us be your body right now of unified, the manifold witness for the glory of the gospel to all people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing the right response to God's wisdom, to God's plans. This was Job's response that he said, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey. We're going to sing several verses this song. If you've gotten the email today from our church family, uh, sent out last night to parents in our student ministry, we're facing some challenging times as a church staff and as a church pray. This altar is open for prayer for God's wisdom. I covet your prayers. We're going to believe that God is, is, is faithful and sovereign and good. Let us respond. If God is calling you to admit to God you've sinned against Him and believe in Him and become a follower of Jesus Christ, you come forward. I'd love to pray with you and lead you to Christ. If you are um, wanting to join this church, wanting to, 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 to surrender your life to ministry, wanting just to pray for our church, for grace and wisdom and healing and the right response in the midst of what we're facing right now, please just come forward, pray, make your seat an altar. Let's trust God and obey Him as a church right now and every day of our lives.